Well, this evening, if I invite your attention to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 14. And I do want to put this disclaimer on this, because as I was studying this passage to, with the intent to preach tonight, I, I thought, well, let me look ahead, see where the uh, church Bible reading program is. And those of you that are following it, you know where I'm going with this, because I believe uh, this, was, this passage was part of today's Bible reading program. That was not my plan. I was not, but I'm thankful for it, because maybe that in a little some more familiarity with the story, with the account as we get into it. But 2 Chronicles chapter number 14, we're going to read um, the entire chapter this evening. 2 Chronicles 14, verse 1. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. In his days, the land was quiet ten years. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Also he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images and the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built fenced cities in Judah. For the land had rest, and he had no war in those years, watch this, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before, before us. In other words, while we have the opportunity, because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of men that bear targets and spears out of Judah 300,000. And out of Benjamin that bear shields and drew bows, 204,000. All these were mighty men of valor. And there came out against them Zira, the Ethiopian, with an host of a thousand thousand, so one million man army, three hundred chariots, and came unto Marisha. Then Asa went out against him, and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephatha at Marisha. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people that were with him pursued them unto Gerar. And the Ethiopians were overthrown that they could not recover themselves, for they were destroyed before the Lord and before his host. And they carried away very much spoil. They smote all the cities round about Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they spoiled all the cities. But there was exceeding much spoil in them. They smote also the tents of cattle, 
and carried away sheep and camels in abundance and returned to, to Jerusalem. The title of the message tonight is this, Crisis Living in Quiet Days. Crisis Living in Quiet Days. It isn't only in a crisis that you need God. Lord, we thank you so much again for your word. And I pray you just bless your word tonight and that you, would, that you would help the communication of it that would honor you and the reception of it that would also honor you that tonight you would have your way to magnify your name through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. It isn't only in a crisis that you need. God, isn't it ironic that in our world, in our country, there's often times where people who have nothing to do with God all of a sudden become very religious when crisis hits. Whether we talk about after a natural disaster, a terrorist attack, a, 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 a social upheaval, people seek after God. When a loved one is, is deathly ill, people tend to be more apt to go to church when they need, have a great financial need, they, they begin looking towards God. And they say, well, that's good, all good and good for people to be directed towards God. But the problem is, most of the time, as soon as the crisis is passed, they go back to their old lives. There was no really heart turning toward God. You know, as believers, we can be guilty of what I'm calling this as being crisis Christians. You know, we're, we're here tonight. We, 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 know how, we know the part. We know how to come. And I believe everyone that's here tonight, by your presence, you say, well, my, my desire is to please the Lord and to be here. And I'm of my own volition. No one's forcing me to be at church tonight. But still, we can all go through the routine of Christianity and service but without real passion and commitment until we need something from God. In a crisis of health, crisis of major decisions coming, a crisis of financial need, a, a crisis of, of, uh, that comes in our life, we quickly run to God to fix the problem. However, when all is quiet again, we so easily lose our passion to seek God. God does not intend us to be just crisis Christians. Our God intends us to be people who are passionate to seek the Lord both in the quiet and in the crisis. You know, Asa was raised in an environment that sought the Lord during times of crisis, but then pushed God aside when they didn't think they needed him. Asa's grandfather is a man by the name of Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam is, is most, most known for being, having the honor of being the man that presided over the split of the kingdom of Israel. Great resume. But this man, and the Bible actually goes through, you compare the king's account and the Kraus account, and there is apparently, although Rehoboam started very foolishly, there is a period of time that Rehoboam and the people of Judah continued in the ways of David and Solomon. 
The problem was, though, when, when after Rehoboam had established the kingdom in his and established the kingdom, he no longer needed God in his mind. He and all Judah with him forsook the law of the Lord. They pushed God aside. As a consequence of their transgressions and of their sin, God allowed, God allowed the Egyptians to come in and, and they came in and, and began and invaded and, and began to wreak destruction upon Judah. But at that point, Rehoboam was confronted with a prophet and then he humbled himself. He humbled himself before God and God restrained the amount of destruction that the Egyptians would wreak upon Judah. Gave him some reprieve from that. In a time of crisis, Rehoboam humbled himself to seek the Lord, but then as the count goes in Kings and Chronicles, he never changed his heart. Then you have a, Abijah comes on the scene, Rehoboam's son. So now this is Asa's father. And Abijah, actually, the Chronicles account has really nothing bad to say about Abijah. But if you go over to Kings, and the Bible says there in 1 Kings 15, chapter 15, that Abijah continued in all the sins of his father. So that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. He forsook the law of the Lord. He walked in the sins of his father and, and opened the, the country up to the moral decay. It was the continued moral decay that was already going on. But then you had a problem in 2 Chronicles chapter, chapter 13, where you have Jeroboam, the king of the north, northern kingdom, comes and invades Judah with a massive army. Abijah goes out to face him. And on the eve of the battle, Abijah leads the people and, and actually communicates with Jeroboam and with the Israelites, saying, hey, our trust is in the Lord. We're relying on the Lord. Don't, why are you fighting against us? The Lord, who's supposed to be all of our God, is still our God. He's making that claim. Here's what he did. He sought the Lord in time of crisis. The Bible actually says in 2, Corinthians, in 2 Chronicles 13 that because they relied on the Lord, the Lord gave a great victory. Time of crisis sought the Lord. But when the crisis has passed... There was no interest in things of God. Asa comes on the scene. He takes the throne about 20 years after the death of Solomon. So put that perspective, the time frame there, about 20 years after the split of the, the two kingdoms. And the Bible says that for the first 10 years of his reign, the land was quiet. The land had quiet, was quiet 10 years. Years, no war. Now, up to this point in time, that, that's a big deal. Rehoboam constantly had wars with Jeroboam. Abijah only reigned three years and he fought a big one. So for 10 years now, all is quiet. No crises. Nothing major is going on. There's, there's nothing really on the outside that would motivate someone to seek the Lord if they were, had the character of a man like Rehoboam or Abijah. You would think that 
If he would follow in his father and grandfather's footsteps, he would take this time of quiet to build up himself, to establish his own kingdom, to pursue his own agenda, to, 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 to live his life independently of God. Because obviously in the eyes, in the eyes of the culture, in the eyes of society, in the eyes of even his heritage, he didn't need God. But that's not what Asa did. The Bible says in verse 2, Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. It was good, pleasing, acceptable. To who? To God. To the Lord his God. It was personal. It wasn't just the God of my fathers. He's my God. Maybe my father, my grandfather, they kind of went back and forth. They really weren't, weren't interested in making the Lord their God personally, consistently, but he's my God. He was good. He did that was pleasing in God's sight. Then he said he did that which was right. The idea there is that he found God's approval through keeping his commands. What Asa did, he gave himself to follow what the scripture said. He humbled himself, not because of a crisis, but because the Lord was his God. And so he, he has this time of quiet and he has this time where he, where he gives himself to do what is right before God. So he, the text goes on to say, verse 3, and describe what he then did. He, he took away the altars, the strange gods, the high places, break down the images, cut down the groves. Verse 5, he took away all the, of all the city of Judah, the high places, the images, Here's what he did. He got rid of all the idolatry that his father and grandfather, and shall we say this, Solomon himself, had allowed to come into the nation. You know, you can't live right before God if you're holding on to your own agenda, to your own sins, to your own desire to live independently of God. He purged the land from that. And verse 4, the Bible says, And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Now, it is, I believe, important to understand this. At this point in Asa's reign, this is not a nationwide revival yet. That doesn't come until chapter 15. At this point, this is an Asa revival. But it doesn't really matter what the people around us do. We are accountable to do what is right and acceptable in the sight of our God. So he takes his opportunity to, to have a leadership and he's in his position as king and his opportunity and responsibility before God to shepherd and to guide his people to what is right. So he tells them, here's what you're going to do. Seek the Lord. Seek him now. To seek. Well, what does that mean? Well, we, I think the, the uh, uh, common way we think about that, we're talking about seeking the Lord, is we need his help. We, we, we need him to do something for us. We talk about seeking the Lord in times of if there's a health problem, if there's a decision to be made. We need to seek the Lord. And absolutely, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But at this point, what, what was it that Asa and the people of Judah needed from God? Because the land was quiet. There was no crisis. Seek the Lord. Well, what are we supposed to seek him for? Well, it's the idea of inquiring after him and needing, needing his help. It's also this, someone to resort to, someone to go to. 
someone to realize, realize that you are his people. He is your God. It only is reasonable that you seek him. So if I summarize it this way, what, is it, what, is he, what does it mean to see God? I believe that we could probably include other things as well, but at least these four. They needed to know God. They needed to love God. They needed to trust God. And they needed to obey God. If they got that, then they would be seeking God. That's what he says. He says, and they seek the Lord and commanded them to do the law and the commandment. See, it's not just this, this vague, well, we're just going to pray and, and we're going to do this and, and we're going to seek the Lord without really, really any personal responsibility to take action. There's no seeking the Lord is not just praying, God, help me. Seeking the Lord is this. You got to know what he says. You got to do the law, the, his instructions. You can't you can't do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord if you don't know him and know what he says and then do what he says. You can't do the law biblically unless it's from the heart. Obedience to God's law has always been based on this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. They had to, if they're going to do the law, they had to not just go through the motions they had to choose to love the Lord, make him their delight. Also do the commandment. Well, is that the same thing? Well, it's close. The law is dealing with the instructions that God's given, the Torah. The commandment, it deals more with this. A commandment is the particular conditions of the covenant. We're talking now about relationship. It says, do the law, do what he says, love him, but also realize there's a relationship between you and God. He's not to be the Lord, my God. He's the God of your fathers. Therefore, he's supposed to be your God. Do the commandment. Make the covenant, make the relationship that you have. God has given you with himself. Make that of paramount importance. Well, relationship involves trust. But also obedience. Know him, love him, trust him, obey him. Seek the Lord, he's telling his people. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Depend on him, submit to him. Seek him. Seeking the Lord required them to get in line with God's instructions and with the relationship with him. And they do that. In time of quiet, Asa set himself to seek the Lord. And the Bible says the Lord gave him rest. Freedom from enemies. He, he gave him rest in verse 6. Well, then how is Asa going to respond to that? Well, if he's much like you and I, or at least maybe just say myself, you go through a time, you seek the Lord, you, you have a, a great time of communion and you see him do great things. You have great spiritual victory. And it seems like at that time is when personally some of the greatest spiritual battles begin. 
They think at this point, Asa, okay, we're, we're doing good. Okay, we can kind of slack off on this now. That's not what he does. He tells his people, tells the people, okay, we're seeking the Lord. And, and he says, well, let's do this. Let's build cities. Let's make walls and towers, gates and bars. Let, let's, while the land is yet before us, let's do this. What does he do? Is he exalting himself? No. He says, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he hath given us rest on every side. So God's given us rest. God has, we have been seeking him and God's been intervening on our behalf. Let's get busy doing his work. They prospered. They had a, in verse 8, deals with the, the military might that they had. They, Asa didn't have a small army. My math is right, it's 580,000 men, mighty men of valor. He's got power, he's got strength. God gave Asa rest in times of quiet because Asa sought the Lord in that time of quiet. But that's not how life stayed for Asa. Crisis came. Invasion. Verse 9, there came out against them Zerah the Ethiopian with a host of a thousand, thousand and three hundred chariots. This is, this, this is not an insignificant attack. This is a major threat. Zira, the Ethiopian, uh, the, the Ethiopian here, now I understand in the Bible it talks about Ethiopia. You can't think of the modern borders of Ethiopia. It's the um, Ethiopia in the Bible would be, um, the, 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 word for Ethiopia, the word here Ethiopian is the word Cush, the name Cush, which was one of the sons of Ham, son of Noah. Ethiopia or the, the Cushites would have inhabited pretty much Africa south of Egypt, the major area where they would have been. So we talk about in our modern geography, think of the Sudan, modern Ethiopia, uh, more of sub-Saharan Africa. So it's quite, quite, quite an area here. But then he, he mentions here that here's this Ethiopian that he is now attacking Israel. How does that work, seeing that Egypt's between them? Well, it would seem to be that this Zira, this, this man that is leading this Ethiopian army, is not just king, is not just having authority over southern Africa and, and the Sudan and that area, but over Egypt as well. Because we're going to see in just a little bit, at the, after the battle's over, they're going to pursue them to a place called Gerar, and then going to destroy the Israelites, are going to destroy those cities. Why? Because they're a part of Zira's, of this Ethiopian confederacy. Well, where's Gerar? About 50 miles from Jerusalem. So this man, this, 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 this attacking force was not just one some backwoods country. It was a major empire. Historically, there's the, the possibility of who this one, this individual is, would be in the historical side, was known for being a very ruthless warrior king. He's coming with a million man army. One purpose, to destroy. He comes and he sets up camp in a place called Marisha. And they said the battle there in array in that valley there on the north side of Marisha. Well, where's that? Marisha is about 25 miles, south, 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. We're talking about a last stand type thing. They show up. 
is a crisis. How is Asa going to respond to this? Say this. Asa responded to this crisis the exact same way that he had been living up to this point. He didn't change. He had been seeking the Lord in the times of quiet. So now, crisis hits. It's only reasonable to seek the Lord. Verse 11, Bible says, Asa cried out, cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with, by, with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. He says, Lord, I cried out the Lord his God. Again, we're based on a relationship. The Lord's not a stranger to him. How often is it that we can, get, even as Christians, get to a point in our lives where we get ourselves into a fix, whether it's something on the basis of the consequences of our choices or just life, and we need to go to God and we should go to God, but it's like we're strangers with our own Heavenly Father. Not on His side, but on ours. But He had been seeking the Lord. It had been His way of life. So, problem happens. It's just reasonable for him, Lord, help. He said, it is nothing with thee, Lord. It is nothing with thee to save with many. It is nothing with thee to, 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 to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. He says, it's, our ability doesn't affect Yours, God. It's not that, well, we do what we can and God does what we can't. That's not how this works. That's not how the Christian life works. It's not that, well, we can, we can do what we, we do as far as we can, as far as our own flesh will help us do in our walk with the Lord, and then God will do the rest. Being sarcastic there. We can do nothing good in ourselves. We have no power. And the sooner we realize that regardless of how much power, how much ability, how much experience we seem to have, we have none, the quicker we will be to seek the Lord. Asa, at this point in time, he's, he, he's got power. He's got strength. Remember, he built towers and cities and walls. He has a 580,000 man army. Now, no, that's not a million men, but that's, that's a lot closer that's a less than two to one odds, still not good, but it's not like, he, it's, it's not, it's not like he's got a thousand men against a million men. But he says, Lord, it really doesn't matter how powerful we are. It really doesn't matter. It's nothing to you to, to, to help. Whether by many or by few, we can go both a couple of ways with this. You can say, well, Lord, you, you can help those that have no power. But on the other side is this. Those that seem to have power, Need your help just as much as those that don't. Lord, there's nothing for you to, to help, whether with many or with, or with those that have no power. Help. Help. Lord, we need your aid. We need you to come and give us succor. We need you to come and deliver us and give us aid against this enemy. His help, Lord, for we rest on 
thee. We rest on thee. Literally this, we're leaning on you. We've learned that we need to lean. Lord, you are only hope. Our hope's not in our towers. Our hope's not in our, in our strength, not in our 580,000 man army full of mighty men of valor. We rest on thee. We're dependent on you. And in thy name we go against this multitude. In thy name we go. I have the idea of that, that God's power, but it's more of this. In thy name, when you go in someone's name, you're, you're going as their representative. Now, here's what Asa is not doing. Asa is not saying, okay, God, here's my problem. I'm going to do it now. I'm, I, I, I expect you to come and, and help me do what I want to do. No. When you go in someone's name, you do what they want you to do. It says, in thy name we go. Lord, we're your servants. We're following your direction. We're following your leadership. What we're doing is not for our glory, but for your purposes. Submission, dependence, and submission. Sound a lot like seeking? Lord, we know who you are. We love you, Lord. You're our priority. We trust you. We're resting on you. And we're going to follow your leadership. We're going to obey. We're going to follow. Let not man prevail against thee. See the shift there? It's not. Lord, we're going your name. Help. Let not man prevail against your people. Because he knew, because remember, he had had a habit of seeking the Lord. He was in line with God's law and, and, and the relationship with him. He knew it wasn't about him. This battle is not about us, Lord. Let not man prevail. Let not man restrain you, your purposes. You know what I often find myself having to do? Is pray something similar about myself. Lord, don't let my flesh mess this up. Don't let my flesh get in the way of what you're doing in me and in my family and what, in what you want to do. Let not man prevail against thee. Asa had such confidence in the Lord that he knew that his greatest benefit would be from God accomplishing his purposes. And thus he trusted his own future to God's care. And the Lord answered, and did he ever? Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa. They fled. They were Asa and the people pursued after them. The Ethiopians were overthrown in verse 13. They could not recover themselves. They were destroyed before the Lord. Get the idea that, that God gave help, that God came and did what Asa asked him to do. They carried away much spoil. Verse 14, they smote all the cities round about Gerar for the fear of the Lord came upon them. They spoiled all the cities for there was exceeding much spoil in them. A great victory. Here's what happened. God, the Lord, helped Asa against the enemy because Asa sought him in the crisis. So what's the, what's the point of this text? 
We can just read to the first two verses of chapter 15, kind of tie it together. Verse, chapter 15, verse 1, so they're coming back from the battle. They come back to Jerusalem, and the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. The Lord gave rest in the quiet and help in the crisis because Asa had set himself to seek the Lord in both. That would have been very helpful to the first readers of this book. Namely, the, the captives, as the, the Israelites and Judah had been gone to Babylonian captivity, had come back to the land and, and come back with Ezra and come back with Zerubbabel. And, and, and most believe, would believe that this was written by Ezra at that point in time because they were facing some serious things as they came back. And they need to be reminded of what God did in times past because what God did, he will still do. Asa and the people of Judah sought the Lord. He was found of them in the quiet and in the crisis. See, God always provides what is needed to those who set themselves to seek the Lord with the whole heart, regardless of their situation. When the circumstances were favorable to those returning, the people returning from exile, when the circumstances were favorable to them, when, the, when, when they had quiet and the, the, king, the king of Persia was giving them license to do, their, to do their, their worship and construct their temple, they needed to seek God. But when things turned, when there were enemies without, when there were enemies within, when there were threats all around them, they needed to seek God. And here is the promise. If they would seek him, he will be found. That truth is still the same today. As God's people, set yourself to always seek the Lord regardless of the situation. When those times of crisis come, we need to seek the Lord. Say, that's obvious. The Lord should not be our last, our last chance, our last resort. Even as believers, how often do we like get ourselves more and more of a fix because we don't seek the Lord when the crisis begins? You know, there's no crisis, there's nothing too big or too small that God cannot or will not give his help for to those who seek him. There's nothing too big or too small. It doesn't matter if you, are, if you are eight years old and your biggest thing in life is your first math quiz. Or if you're the eight-year-old's father and you just lost your job. There's no crisis too big or too small that he is not wanting you to come to him with humility and to throw yourself before him. Lord, there's nothing with you whether to, to, to help, whether by men, with many or with them, the hope of no power. Help, Lord. You're my only hope. Doesn't matter if that's, a, if that's a health crisis that you're going through, that's a financial crisis you're going through, if it's a, if a problem at home you're going through. 
If it's a decision that's just looming right there, you have no idea what you're supposed to do. Doesn't matter if all your expectations just got turned upside down. I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. So do I. Seek him. Know him. Love him. Trust him. Obey him. Is that it? Is there any other better place to start? Do what you know. But it's not just in times of crisis that we need God. We need to seek him with the same passion that we would in a crisis when there is no crisis. Because the reality of it is that we're always in a crisis. We're always in a state of desperate need for him. Our tendency is so often to seek the Lord when we need something from him. Instead, we ought to seek the Lord because of who he is and because that he is our God, because he is our Lord, because he is our Savior, because he is our Father. To seek him, to seek to know him, to seek to love him and to seek to trust him and obey him with all our heart. When there is no crisis, when you get up tomorrow, seek the Lord in your daily walk. You know, I found just my own personal life, I have more passion for the Bible and for prayer when I am aware of some great need that I have. But I should cultivate and me begin here. Lord, I'm in trouble because I don't have the passion for you that I should. Help, Lord, change my heart. Cultivate a passion in me, a love for you, and a, and a, and a hunger to know you, and, and, a, and, a, and a dependence upon you, and a, and, a, and a joyful obedience to you now. When things are, are, are not, there's nothing really going wrong. Seek the Lord in your daily walk. Seek the Lord in your interaction with your family. You know, I, I, I'm with you. I've, there are times, you know, I've, we, we pray for our children, pray for our spouses, especially when we know they're going through something. We know there's a need that's in their lives and we pray for them and we seek the Lord for their future and, and for their safety and for their, and for their growth spiritually as well as physically. But what about when you interact with them on a daily basis? When that lovely child who's cute to the grandparents irritates the fire out of you. <laughs> when they look at you, not my children, I want to say not my children, someone else's kids, right? No. When you know they know what to do, they look at you and do the exact opposite. And everything in you 
wants to respond and you're proud of yourself because you don't respond as harshly as you wanted to respond. Interaction with your kids, would it reflect a man or a lady that has been seeking the Lord? That is walking, knowing him, loving him, trusting him, obeying him? Because if that's so, your interaction, my interaction with them will reflect his character, not my flesh. With your spouse, doesn't matter what she does or what he does, your interaction should, should typify the love of Christ for each other. I mean, isn't that what marriage is, is, is supposed to, the pattern marriage is supposed to follow? But if you're not seeking the Lord in the quiet, then when you have that conversation, we have the interaction, what's going to be reflected, what's going to be exposed is a life that's not in tune with God. Many of you have lost co-workers. You know what they're going to do, how they're going to act, how they're going to think, how they're going to talk, like sinners. If you're seeking the Lord, you'll respond to them with the love and compassion of Christ. If you respond to them in frustration... And just, you're, you're, you're excited, you're, you're looking for the opportunity to get away from them. Instead of, instead of asking for opportunities to share Christ with them, you're, you and I are evidencing that we're not really living a life that's seeking the Lord. When you come to that decision, you know, when you come to that that, 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 that key time in your life, whether you're talking about young people or, or college age or just living life as adults. You come to that key point of decision and there's full of all the, all the pressures that are around and all the uncertainty that's there and all of, the, all of the, the, the things, all the advice that you hear from this person and from that person and you have no idea what to do. Do you have a heart of anxiety and panic? And you go, I've got to do something because time's moving on with this. That's just an evidence that you and I at that time are not living a life that is truly seeking the Lord. Because when we're seeking the Lord, we have rest because we're leaning on Him, not on ourselves. Seek the Lord in the crisis and in the quiet. And if you will seek the Lord when life is quiet, you will naturally seek the Lord when a crisis comes. However, if seeking the Lord is not your, is not my way of life, then when the crisis comes, it will put you on your back. You will begin to question God's care. You will panic because things are outside of your control. And you will tend to try to manipulate the circumstances to just find some kind of relief. 
What's the solution? Set yourself to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. What does the text say? Seek the Lord, and He will be found of you. Said, Lord, whether you're going through a time of quiet or maybe you're in the middle of a crisis, set yourself to seek the Lord. Set yourself, Lord, I want to know you first. I, I want to set all these things aside. I want you to respond and live in a way that demonstrates my love for you. I want to try, I'm going to trust, choose to trust you, and I'm going to choose to do whatever you say for me to do. You know what's going to happen? He's going to be found of you. You will know him more intimately. You will find yourself loving him more. Your trust in him, you will experience his faithfulness to you, and you will find joy in obedience. You'll find that his, his yoke indeed is easy, and his ways are always right. Set yourself to seek the Lord. You will always find God's provision sufficient when you always seek, set yourself to seek the Lord in the quiet and the crisis. So how's your passion for seeking the Lord? Is it just, well, when I really am aware of him, when I really have a problem? Yeah, I mean, I go to church, and I read my Bible and I, I want to grow, but, you know, the passion's really not there. And I say it's a choice. Maybe you just need to start here. Lord, I'm in trouble because I don't have the passion for you that I should. Help, Lord. You know what, what, we, you know what will happen? He will be found of you. He will give help. He will help you. There will be, yes, there will be things that you have to implement in your life. There will be things that you might have to get out of your life. There may be things that you have to put into your life that's in line with his law and with his commandment, with your relationship with him. But he will be found of you. Is seeking the Lord a way of life for you? You know, you, all, you and I always have room to grow in that. You find yourself seeking the Lord only in times of crisis? How many of us in this room can testify to how many times we've seen God do amazing things when we, when we found ourselves in trouble and we went to Him? He is so good to us. That passion that you felt, that, that intensity that you, that you experienced when you were seeking the Lord, when you were praying, when you were in his word, when you were, when you were pouring your heart out to God, that ought to be a characteristic of our lives, not just occasional moments. He invites you and I to begin seeking him regardless of your situation. Say, well, I've messed up too much. I've done too much. I've, I feel like more like the Rehoboam or Abijah. I, I'm way out here. Come back. Come back. He, he, seek the Lord while he may be found. He is available. He wants to restore you to that, that, that fellowship, to that relationship. Don't keep going that way. Come back and say, well, I feel like such a hypocrite. I'm just, I just seek the Lord. I'm only, I'm only in it when I need something. Well, admitting it's a good start for me and for you. 
and start today. Seeking him regardless of whether it's crisis or quiet. Here it is. Here's what we need to do. Have the same passion for seeking the Lord in the quiet times that you would, that you would have in a crisis. The same passion that you have in a crisis, apply that passion to seeking the Lord in the times of quiet. And then in the crisis, you will have the calm rest of the quiet times because you're already resting on him. Stay in this evening as we prepare for invitation. Just consider even from this text. First, do you have a habit in your life of seeking the Lord? Or is this just a Sunday thing? I don't believe the majority of this room would, would be in that category. But if you are, your only hope, my only hope, is Him. Maybe you need to just come and acknowledge, Lord, I've been away from you. I need to get back and start seeking you with my whole heart, young or old. Maybe you, you've lived a life and you, you, like we all have ups and downs, or we're, sometimes we're seeking, sometimes we're not. Maybe just the consistency there. Or maybe there are some, there's some here that you're going, just, you're going through a crisis time right now. You don't know what to do. You don't know what the future looks like. It just doesn't seem hopeless. He invites you to come wherever you are, whatever you've done up to now. He come and lay it before him. Lord, thank you so much for, for your goodness and for your sufficiency for us. No matter what, what we do or what our ability may or may not be, we know we are nothing without you. You just require us to seek you. To do your law. To live in light of our, the relationship that you've given us with you. I pray tonight that you would work in our time of invitation in a way that would honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.